I could just not preach tonight. We could all sing the song about Zacchaeus and go home. Because surely that song tells the whole story. Luke chapter 19, we'll begin with verse 1. Again, we're working our way through the scripture, working our way chronologically through Jesus' life, and he's now about uh, a week to two weeks away from the cross. So we're coming to that time in Jesus' life and in his ministry that he's about to pay. It's so unfortunate, I guess, what we have done to the story of Jesus. And I don't want to reduce it to something logical, and I don't want to reduce it to something uh, that any way diminishes it. But we've glorified that moment to the point that it's almost become no practical good to us. The reality of what happened with Jesus, the necessity of Jesus, and it goes all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve when they committed that original sin and took on that sin nature. If I drew this, I would draw our body, the physical part of our life, that allows us to be aware of ourself. My body allows me to know when I'm hungry, I know when I'm thirsty, I know when I'm sleepy. My body has a conversation with me. My soul, which is my mind and my emotions, allows me to to have relationships with you. We exchange ideas and we exchange emotions. My soul allows me to be other aware. My body self-aware. My soul allows me to be aware of others. My spirit allows me to be God-aware. It's what allows me to have a relationship with God. When Adam and Eve sinned originally, something in that picture died. We know their body was still working. We know their soul was still working. So what died in that moment that they sinned? It was the Spirit. The Spirit, which allowed them to have this communication, this relationship with God, sin now separated that. So what sits in the box called Spirit? Sin. What did Jesus' blood come to do? To clean that box. It came to deal with the sin that kept us separated from God. And the minute that we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that spirit can come back to life because that sin that created the separation is now brought under the blood of Jesus. And when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin anymore because it's under the blood of his Son. Perfectly covered. Perfectly dealt with. Gone. So now my spirit can be quickened. So it's quickened, but now that it's clean, what's the purpose of it being clean? This is the part we miss. We accept Jesus Christ and the spirit's quickened, but the reason that Jesus came so that our spirit could be clean again is so that the Holy Spirit of God could come and take up residence within that box again. So that my life becomes a representation of Him. I use this illustration all the time, but if I had a glove laying here the reality is that that glove in and of itself can do absolutely nothing but when the minute i put my hand in it that glove becomes an exact representation of what my hand desires to do we would never expect that glove we would never expect it to work we would never expect it to reach grab something or turn something or hold something we know that the glove can't do it we know it has to be the demonstration of something that filled it My life is designed to be the evidence and a demonstration of the power of God because he made us in such a way when that box is cleaned by the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is received to come and fill that box, my life then can become a representation of something that has come and filled me so that the end of my day is a representation of him and not myself. My love is his love. My wisdom is his wisdom. My goodness is his goodness. My kindness is his kindness. Because no one would ever expect anything more of me than that would of that glove. 
The reality is we were so designed by God that Jesus' blood came to deal with the sin, not so that that box could remain empty, but so that it could be filled with the Spirit of God. And now we've got a story to tell. Now we've got a mystery that other people will see. And suddenly we have power, authority. We have might within our story because of the indwelling presence of God. We have so altered that story. Again, I don't want to reduce it to something that's mechanical, but there's a mechanical reality to what God did. Jesus cleansed us. The Holy Spirit came to fill us. That's the story. Sin separated us from God. And once it's dealt with, we can now be intimate and have an intimate relationship with God once again. Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. It's kind of odd. I'll stop there and just make an editorial comment. Apparently, because there's absolutely nothing else recorded about this adventure of Jesus out to Jericho and back, there's nothing in this except the story of Zacchaeus. So for, for Jesus to go to, to Jericho had to be primarily, if, if for any other reason, was because there was a person out there. There was one individual that Jesus knew by the plan of God. There was an encounter waiting. I wish we would believe that about ourselves. I wish we would give ourselves that same credibility, that same possibility that maybe Jesus, maybe God, maybe the power of the Holy Spirit would come where we are to make that special trip so that he could have a conversation with us so that we could respond and believe that we are that valuable to God, that we mean that much to him. Zacchaeus, in the whole story, if if this would have been left out, nobody would have cared. Nobody would have noticed, especially based on who Zacchaeus was. But but Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich, which simply meant he was crooked. If you were going to collect taxes honorably, you would not have been rich, because the riches came off of how you cheated people, how you extorted them out of money that they really didn't need to pay. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press, because he was of little stature. At this point, all we know is that Zacchaeus was curious. But I would even tell you, someone, somewhere, at some time, had to say something where Zacchaeus could hear it to create the curiosity that he now has. If he hadn't believed that, it would have just been another man. Something had already happened in Zacchaeus' life. He had gotten a glimpse based on someone's word, someone's testimony, or someone's conversation that, that this Jesus might be different. So because he was small, he climbed up in a tree, for he knew that Jesus was going to pass that way. Verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. He made haste and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods... I give to the poor, and, I have ta- and if I have taken anything, it really says, and since I have taken many things from any man by false accusations, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus, whom Jesus had never seen in the flesh, probably never heard of, he was able to call out, Zacchaeus's name. If you go to John chapter 10 verse 3 and you don't have to go there, it, it says he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. 
And he says to make haste. I want to tell you, though, when Jesus stopped under that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, I don't know if we can even begin to grasp what that would be like if Jesus stopped in front of us and called us by name. But I want to tell you, he loves us. It's so strange because we here, we love to sing the name Jesus. It may be uncomfortable everywhere else, but here in church, we say the name Jesus. We say Lord. We say Christ. We say God very freely. But what we don't get is that he loves to call my name. He is that personal. He is that intimate. He cares that much. We matter that much. He came to Zacchaeus. He stopped and he called him by name because what was fixing to happen was fixing to be deeply personal. This wasn't going to be about the masses. This wasn't going to be about all who were around. God had a moment planned for Zacchaeus. God has a moment planned for you. I hope you believe that. I pick on Billy a lot because, you know, Billy and I have been friends for a long time. Billy and I were standing right here when she walked into the church for Dickie Jones's funeral, and I held her right here. And I didn't know what her story was, but I know that her heart had been broken. I didn't know all that had transpired. I didn't know all the struggles. I didn't know all that had been present in her life. I knew, I knew enough. But I want to tell you, that moment was an encounter. It began something in that moment. Because I, it wasn't my invitation. Because the words that God had me to say to her was, Billy, you've got to come home. You've got to come home. That was in October. So that over the next few months, in April, when she and Melissa came down that aisle, I can tell you, that divine appointment began a change that sits right here. And it is remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. I won't share any in particulars about this, but she was sharing some stuff Sunday night. And I was getting so excited, I couldn't hardly contain myself. The goodness of God just poured out on a life restored. I don't know why we don't expect that. How amazing to hear this story and and the blessing. But, But God had a moment. There was an encounter. God cares that much for you. He will never leave you alone. He will never leave you in the situation where you are. He loves you. He loves you just where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there also. Strange thing about the love of God, that he can love you exactly the way that you are and love you too much to leave you in the situation where you currently are. There was a moment planned for Zacchaeus. He went to Jericho. He calls him out by name, and he says, make haste. There's something immediate in the moment when God deals with us face to face. If we go back to the Old Testament, our deliverance ministry here is built on this truth, on this scripture. Jacob was basically a rat. His name means trickster, deceiver. He was awful. He had cheated. He had lied. He had done all kinds of things to his father, you know, to his brother, to his uncle, a whole trail of things. But on his journey, when his mother sent him to Laban, his uncle, he stops at a place called Bethel, the house of God. And he sees this angel ascending and descending on this ladder, one of it being on the earth, the other being in heaven. And he makes an oath at that, and I, I cringe every time I hear pastors preach as if that oath was something good or something honorable. Because he says in that oath, he says, God, if you will keep me in the way that I'm going, if you'll give me food to eat, if you'll bless everything that I do, you know, if you give me clothes to wear, then you can be my God, and I will be so grateful, I'll give you back 10%. He's basically saying, God, I want you to take me on my terms. 
I want you to take me like I am and bless me because I already have my plan down. I already have the direction I'm going. I have everything lined out. I just need you to come alongside me and bless me. And God says, okay, I'll go. And for the next 20 years, Jacob is miserable until he finally hears the word of the Lord to go home. And on his way home, he says it wrestles with a man. And they wrestle until the morning. The man says, you've you got to let me go. And Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then this question comes, what is your name? And for the first time, Jacob had to confess before God, this is my name. I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm a trickster, I'm a deceiver. That's who I am. And this man says, under the power of God, you will not be known by Jacob anymore. Your name from this point forward will be Israel, a prince with God. And they named the place Peniel. I met God face to face. I want to tell you, we can go to the house of God and never be changed. We can say, God, I'm already on my path, but I'll give 10%. That's the best I can do. And God says, I will wait, even if it takes 20 years. But somewhere out there, you're going to have to deal with me face to face. It will not work otherwise. God says, I need to talk to you. I need to get your heart before me. I need to have an encounter with you. It won't work any other way. This isn't a message to the masses. This is a message to our individual hearts, uniquely being done by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I've got to go away. There's only one of me, but I'm going to send someone. And he can deal with every one of you personally and intimately. He says, I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. And he will lead you and guide you into all truth. So he says, make haste. There's immediacy. When God begins to deal with us face to face, it gets real serious. And he said, and come down. This is one of those where I think I could probably over-spiritualize this verse, but I, I, the picture for me is so clear. Because any position that we take, and it doesn't matter what it is, any position that we take other than to be in the proper relationship with God, recognizing who we are in relationship to Him, every position we take is arrogant, held above the power of God, the plan of God. Because here's my option. If I have this on a scale and I have the plan of God over here and I have my plan over here and I'm not going to live by his, what have I done to mine? I've given it more weight. It would have been greater. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, if there's going to be any change, you've got to come down. Whatever position we hold that keeps us separated from where God wants to deal with us is an elevated position within our own heart. It's pride and arrogance that says, I know best for my life. I'll stick with my plan. And God says to us willingly and lovingly, calls us by name and says, I need, really need for you to come down out of that position because I need to deal with you face to face. I want there to be a radical change in you. So he says to come down. So the first matter of restoration, I have a lot of people come through my office that want help. They want to be restored and they want to be healed. But until they're desperate for it, like we sang tonight, until they're desperate for it, nothing happens. There has to be such a willingness and readiness because for Zacchaeus to be encountered up in that tree had to be at least somewhat embarrassing. He was expecting to be up there unnoticed. So when Zacchaeus hears Jesus call him out, there had to be this moment of, oh no, I've been seen, and every eye, everyone's attention is directed toward me. Does it really matter to you? This, this is one of those questions that only you can answer. How, how willing are you to be embarrassed? 
How willing are you to be ready for that encounter if it, if it requires embarrassment? Most of us, unfortunately, would say, I don't want to be embarrassed. Zacchaeus was ready in that moment, and Jesus says to him, for today I must abide at your house. Today, right now. We sing that song, and I love it. I almost asked Jay to sing, because I listen to it probably three or four or six or 12 times a day. A song that we've been singing, I've been changed. I've been freed. I've been healed. I've been delivered, my sin forgiven, and I can't go back. I won't go back. But what's that, what's that line in there? This is the moment. Today is the day. God says, I don't want you to hurt a single day. I don't want you to carry your burden a single day longer. I want today to be the day. I want you to be free today. So he says to Zacchaeus, for today I must abide. I'm going to come, and I'm going to move in to the residence. What does that tell us? What was Jesus saying? He was going to enter in where nobody else wanted to go. Nobody wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house. No one was welcomed in Zacchaeus' house. I can tell you for, for most of us, when sin dwells, when those struggles dwell, there's not many people who want to enter in. Jesus is longing to enter into that moment, into that place. He says, today I must abide at your house, indwell, and I want to stay within you. He says, in Zacchaeus, came down and received him joyfully. Now, I don't know if it's hit you the way it hits me, but joyfully is kind of the last word I expected there. I can see him coming down with some hesitation. I can see him coming down with some degree of reservation. I can see him coming down and saying, no, I can see all kinds of things happening in that moment. But what actually happens, he comes down and he's ready and he says he does it joyfully. This conversation came up in my head earlier this week about the nature of an immediate change. What happens in us when Jesus begins to be present within us and our hands become his hands to work with and this becomes his mouth to speak with and these are his feet to go with. This is his heart to love with. These are his ears to hear with, his voice to praise with. What happens when that occurs is that our life should create an aroma that goes out before us and begins to announce the presence of God even before we arrive. It should create that kind of a difference. Zacchaeus had already begun, even before this moment and in this moment, to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, and even before Jesus said, I'm going to your house, there was something revolutionary changing in the heart of Zacchaeus. There was something powerfully transforming that was already occurring as he had an encounter with Jesus, I want to tell you, I don't know how any of us could believe for a second that I could stand face to face with Jesus and hear him talk to me lovingly and kindly and call me by name, that anything left after that, there would have been nothing left except joy. He had that encounter, and he said he came down and he was joyful. There was a definite internal revolution that was going on. It was immediate when Zacchaeus found himself being invited to come before the Lord with such love. And with such virtue. And they said that he was, looked at Jesus as he's going home with this sinner. But they didn't know something. They didn't know what was true about Zacchaeus a minute ago wasn't true anymore. That's the nature of what Jesus does. How long did it take for the lame man to get up and walk? Because what was true about him one minute ago is not true anymore. The guy who couldn't see what was true about him a minute ago is not true anymore. The woman at the well, what was true about her is not true anymore. It was immediate. What was true about Zacchaeus that they couldn't see yet wasn't true anymore. 
the place of brokenness within Zacchaeus' heart, the sin that was there, the situation where he found himself, the circumstances, they weren't true anymore. Because he had met someone who could change that moment. He was changed, freed, healed, delivered, forgiven. The great change was unknown to those watching and questioning, but it wouldn't be for long. I tried to preach a sermon a couple of weeks ago, and it was, again, it was conceptually hard. Hard to teach, hard to preach. I shared with you, you know, God wore me out with it, trying to even get it ready within my heart. This was the message, that freedom has to be a gift that we receive. Because if it's something that we work for, the work actually creates a bondage that erases the freedom. But because freedom comes and is given to us as a gift, there ought to be a lifestyle that is created immediately when we receive that freedom that becomes to be an expression of gratitude for the one who gave us the freedom. That change should be immediate. The fact when we receive Jesus and and we have that encounter, freedom comes, grace comes, mercy comes, and when we realize it, it ought to immediately create a lifestyle that says, I recognize what I just got. I use the illustration often, if you put this white thing or, or... Stainless steel thing in your kitchen. It's got a bottom compartment and a top compartment. What do we call that thing? Yeah, we call it, what'd you say? You must really be old. Icebox. <laughs> That's what I would have called it. <laughs> a refrigerator. <laughs> well, you know, we have an icebox in our house, but you have to put a block of ice in it. The other, th- the other thing that runs on electricity is a refrigerator. If you don't plug that thing in, what do you call it? It's a storage closet. It may be a cabinet, but for it to actually function by its name, it has to actually do something. It has to refrigerate to be called a refrigerator. There's a powerful connection between its name and what it actually does. When we take on that name of Christian, there ought to be an immediate evidence that something just happened powerfully in our life. It's so strange to me that for so many people who are Christians, there's no evidence of change. I guarantee you there was no, they might have had a question about Zacchaeus for that long, but immediately when he began to hand this money back out, they knew something powerful had come to Zacchaeus. They knew he had had an encounter that they couldn't quite understand. So it wouldn't be long before they would actually know. They would soon recognize the great change that had happened. I don't know how we can ever testify that Jesus saved me. Because what Jesus did, and because I've received that, that's not my story anymore. Why wouldn't that create a tremendous change in life? Just on that simple fact. It ought to create something powerfully different. It did in Zacchaeus, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord. Powerful how many times Zacchaeus calls him Lord. He uses the term of authority. He uses the term of dignity and of power when he's addressing Jesus. He stood. Simply means in the presence of everyone. Zacchaeus made this announcement. He didn't whisper it to Jesus. He didn't turn and say, I've got something I need to tell you. Because that way he would have said, I want, if I don't do it, then nobody knows but Jesus. He says, I, I want to make this announcement right now, and I want everybody to hear. He turns and he says to him, Lord, immediately recognizing who he was in relationship to who Jesus was, recognizing who he was now in relationship to someone who loved him the way Jesus did. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He says, And because I've taken things that weren't mine, I will restore those fourfold. I'll end with this. He had had this great encounter. He could no longer live with that which had come wrongly to him, and he determined to restore and to build again all that he had tore down. That's a powerful change. That's a powerful encounter. 
Zacchaeus was so convicted in that moment, so changed that the, the love of God that he had received for himself was now going to pour out of him to those he had hurt. He had just received something. What's the first evidence that I've received something as I begin to give it away? Here he was, having just received the love of God and the forgiveness of God, and immediately was an evidence to everyone that he had wronged. He said, even I'll take care of those needs that are before me, and I will give four times back that which I've taken unjustly. Because Zacchaeus could no longer live under the wrong that his life had just previously represented. I couldn't teach and I couldn't preach if I didn't believe that the power of God to transform was as real right now as it was back there. This morning, 844 in, in my office, on April the 1st, 2015, A.J. became a child of God. He was saved this morning. Mark down forever to remember so that any time Satan comes against him and says, A.J., you're not, he can say, yes, I am. By the power of God, I ask him to save me this morning. I put my faith and belief in, in Jesus as my Savior. This morning he saved me. I won't hear anything else. That's how we fight. So write it down, 844, in my office this morning, because that will become the first point of spiritual warfare Anytime somebody comes and says, or Satan says, no, you're not. Yes, I am, because I know what I asked him, and I know what God's answer was. And he said yes when I asked him to save me. He was saved this morning. God had an encounter planned. He'll be baptized this Easter Sunday morning. I know what God has done in me. That's the only story I can testify of and say with accuracy, this is what God has done. But everything God has done makes me believe and know that everything that he said right here is still true. Absolutely everything. He restored my life. He washed me clean. He built me back. He had to tear me down to build me back, but he did it lovingly so that I could stand here today and say, this is true. And tell any one of you with any kind of a struggle that the power of God to change and set free has not ever changed. He's still willing. He's just looking for a heart that's ready to say, I want it for me.